Shrink Wrap Radio number 810. Machiel Cleric, MFT, on connecting to the soul through dream incubation. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink Wrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave. And Shrink Wrap Shrink Wrap Radio. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous. It's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. My guest today is Machiel Clerk, MFT, my longtime business associate, online friend, entrepreneur, dream worker, and founder of the web portal, The Jung Platform. We'll be discussing his book, Dream Guidance, Connecting to the Soul Through Dream Incubation. Now, here's the interview. Machiel Cleric, welcome to Shrink Wrap Radio. Welcome back to Shrink Wrap Radio, I should say. And um, I say welcome back because Way back in 2015, I interviewed you on episode number 474, Dreams and Awareness Practices. So now, some seven years later, uh, you've codified much of what we spoke about back then into a book. So big congratulations to you. Thank you, Dave. And it's uh, such a pleasure to be again with you and to uh, be in your presence. I love your interview style. So I've been work, looking forward to this. Well, I have to tell you, I uh, I love this book that you've written. Uh, I, you've done a really fine job. It's about dream incubation. And um, it's, it's definitely the best book that I've ever read on the topic in terms of providing guidance to somebody who's interested in dream uh, incubation and giving it a context and good examples and all. And so uh, I think it's uh, such a fine job that you did. So my congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, but before we get into the book itself, let's, let me dig a bit into your background, if I may. <laughs> uh, and, and I learned a lot that I didn't know about your background as, as I was reading the book. And that's one of the things that I want uh, folks to know. Uh, it's a good motivation for, for reading the book is that uh, you're very transparent. And that to me, that's always important when I'm reading, uh, quote, self-help books of any sort. And uh, I want to know who the author is and where they're coming from and how this connects to their experience. So it's not just a head trip. And, and having those kinds of stories that you share make it so much easier to identify with you as the author. Um, so I'm, I'm under the impression that you were born in the, in the Netherlands. Do I have that right? No, actually I was born in South Africa. 
And, ah, um, okay, I missed that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, and then at age four, we moved to the Netherlands. So I, I feel Dutch mainly, uh, even if I've now already been 15 years in the USA. But uh, the first four years were in, uh, I was born in Bloemfontein, which is between Cape Town and Johannesburg. And then we moved to Johannesburg. My sister came into the world and my parents decided to go back to the Netherlands. My mom is Dutch. My dad is also Dutch, but was born in Indonesia. And uh, then uh, then I lived in the Netherlands for, for many years. What an international family. And it certainly had set the tone for you as a very international adult. That was another thing that was really fun to discover in reading the book was all the different countries that you've worked in and lived in and so on. It's really, really quite impressive. So I said the Netherlands, and I never know whether to say Holland or Netherlands. Is one more appropriate than the other, or or are they synonymous? Yeah, yeah, that is, that is one of the, the common uh, questions. <laughs> Actually, uh, Holland is technically two states, two provinces within the Netherlands. Uh-huh. And if you have North and South Holland, which uh, constitutes of Amsterdam and Rotterdam, but the Netherlands is, the official la- uh, name is the Kingdom of the Netherlands, uh-huh. and uh, which Holland and, and the Netherlands is usually synonymous, but if you're really technical, Holland is a part of the Netherlands. Okay, well, that's good to know. Um, so, uh, growing up as a boy, uh, what did you hope to become as a as an adult? Did you have kind of a picture uh, as a young guy growing up of what you were going to do for a living or anything like that? As a, as a good uh, Dutch uh, boy, I wanted to be a soccer player. <laughs> really? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, my, my childhood hero was Johan Cruijff, which was a soccer a Dutch soccer player who really reinforced reinforced really revolution okay i get cut it out he he really improved on the game and uh um uh but uh in my early uh, teens i discovered that i had some talent but nothing good enough to become professional okay mm-hmm. <laughs> as many of us do discover those sorts of uh, uh the realities <laughs> of our physical structure right um, were dreams important to you as a kid? They they ended up being a major uh, focus of yeah. your life. It, I I remember that uh, I sometimes had a dream that I would uh, would take uh, for as, as an important uh, suggestion or signal, but they they didn't really become important till my early twenties. My culture where I grew up was not a very dream uh, favorable, nor my family. So I had a couple of these dreams that uh, that that I thought, hey, this this is important, but the real connection early twenties and uh, and onward. When did you first hear about Jung? That was uh, in uh, in my early twenties. I was uh, stuck in my life, <coughs> and uh, I, I didn't know where to go, what to do. Uh, lots of other problems that had stacked up, such as uh, the death of my father at the age of ten and the unresolved grief. Uh, which I learned is uh, is really damaging to the soul, and uh, in then in my early twenties I stumbled upon the works of Carl Jung. Someone in the house I lived with several roommates had a copy in his his room, and I started reading it, and I was just hooked. 
Do you remember uh, which, which book it was? Yeah, it was Men and a Symbol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, and that's a good one. And yeah. uh, I used that book many years in my teaching. And, um, and one of of typically five books that I would assign in, in the dreams course that I taught at the university for many years. And what was it about his work that most spoke to you? It, um, it, 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 a couple of things came together, but it was really a different worldview that presented itself. So I, I was stuck in, an, in, a, in a world where I didn't know, I didn't have a sense of purpose, didn't have a sense of meaning, uh, didn't have a sense of uh, uh, meaning about life and death, which was really uh, vital because my dad had died and I struggled with with that. Is there, is there maybe something after death? And uh, uh, and and his worldview brought really into uh, that there is a guiding principle underlying reality. Yeah, that yeah. there is something that is actually supportive. And for years, I didn't, I haven't, hadn't felt supported by anything. So I had become depressed and a bit bitter. Yeah. And, and now I connected to something that uh, that was supportive and. Uh, that that makes a big difference in the world. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Uh, that Jung is is about meaning. That's really uh, the, the I think the key thing about him. Um, and so I know that you came to the U.S. What in your twenties? Once you found out about about Jung, a little later in my early twenties, like twenty three approximately, I started reading Carl Jung and uh, and and become really. Uh, bordering obsessed with it, yeah. reading uh, everything from him and from Franz and all these other Jungians. Uh, then I uh, uh, doubted, shall I go into psychology or or shall I work in business? Because I did uh, also marketing as a graduate uh, under as, uh, my bachelor. And uh, I decided to uh, that I, I, I felt I was not uh, mature enough to uh, go into psychology. So I first went into business toughened up a little bit. And uh, at the end of uh, my first, uh, I, my boss started a company with me and we grew that in a small European company. Then uh, at uh, the age of 30, I said to my boss, listen, I need to travel. So I went with a backpack to Asia, traveled around for a year. And at the end of that year, uh, surprisingly coincidental, maybe not coincidental, he sold the company to a company in uh, in uh, in the U.S. and the new company said, uh, "Do you want to come for six months?" Uh-huh. And uh, I uh, I said yes, and that's now uh, 18 years ago. Of yeah. course, it's happened since, but that was uh, that was how I ended up here in the USA. And then somehow that led to your going to uh, the Pacifica Graduate School, which is basically a Jungian graduate school. Right. I was in, uh, in Jungian analysis and my therapist suggested, take a look at uh, Pacifica Graduate Institute. And uh, I flew out to go for a day, uh, an introductionary day. And there was uh, James Hillman and Michael Mead. And I was like, oh my gosh, this yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Wanna, major, I be here. major figures. <clears throat> 
Of course, I know the answers to some of these questions from reading your book, but just to get them out yeah. here so that other people can whet their appetite to some of the delights that they will discover. Uh, have you ever had a life-changing dream? Well, I had, uh, I had uh, multiple, but uh, uh, one of these uh, spontaneous dreams uh, that really changed my life in terms of my work was uh, the dream in which uh, uh, I got a suggestion to build the Jung platform. And I can share it briefly. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I remember that in the book. In, uh, in the dream, I am uh, floating above the lake of Zurich, and I see Carl Jung's house. And uh, his house is uh, in, in Kusnacht at the, uh, at the lake. There is uh, his yard and a dock. And in the dream, he has built a square concrete platform that is attached to the yard and to the dock. And he's working on it and he's rearranging some beams to create some, some structure that creates a little bit of coziness. And then he sits on a chair reading a book. And I'm still watching all of this. And it's almost like it's a movie that comes to a standstill. And then Jung and the platform disappear. And a voice behind me says, now you have to draw it identical to how it was. Wow. And I find myself with a pencil in my hand and I make a line and, uh, and, and then I wake up. And I uh, took that dream as a suggestion to build a platform for Jung and Jungian psychology that really builds onto what Jung had done. So not dogmatically Jung, but he had to build further on it. And just like Jung explores these traditions that take into account an, an unconscious or a collective unconscious or indigenous cultures would say another world, I, uh, I started first building an organization for the local community, a nonprofit, the Jung Society of Utah, where we hosted events. And then I uh, saw that it really resonated in the local public to my own surprise. And I uh, built uh, the Jung platform. And I've been uh, building on that for the last 12, 13 years. And, uh, and it has been, uh, has been probably my biggest vocational dream in life. Yeah, we'll probably come back to the Jung platform so that you can tell people more about it. But I'm, I'm, of course, it's very striking that you, that you had that example of a lucid dream, I think, where you were kind of aware of the fact that you were dreaming and you took it so, so earnestly to do something with it. Well, you were commanded by a voice <laughs> to do something with it. And, but the Jung platform, what you, uh, what you created in Salt Lake City where you were living or that area was a speaker series. And we talk about the platform when uh, that this refers to speaker series. You know, the person comes onto a platform. So it's almost literal. Yeah. In a very interesting way, and we'll find, and then you create a web portal that we'll talk more about later, which is also called the Jung platform. And when I first encountered that, not knowing any of this history, you know, it seemed like an interesting, curious name, uh, <laughs> and I didn't, you know, know where to go with it beyond that. Uh, and I just thought, well, this is an interesting choice, but I didn't know why. Um, well, let's, I think it's time to mention the title of your book. I'm skipping around a little bit here. Mm -hmm. uh, but the title of your book is Dream Guidance, yeah. Connect, Connecting to the Soul 
through dream incubation. And really, so much of, of the book and your career has been about, and your personal quest has been about dream incubation. So who's your ideal target reader? Was there somebody that you had in mind as you're working on this book? Yes, I, uh, I thought uh, I wanted to write a book that is uh, accessible to the general audience. Yeah. So anyone that uh, uh, would like to have guidance from their dreams, but is not necessarily steeped in, uh, in, in dream work. So uh, a, a, a broad appeal. But I wanted to at the same time uh, think it through and create it in a way that if you have some dream uh, experience, that you still would would uh, would think, oh, here are some nuggets that will help uh, refine my skill for uh, for dream incubation. Yeah, and um, and you do just that. I mean, it really it's very effective, I think. So you describe your five step method, and maybe you could just cover it briefly here in the uh, just enough to whet people's appetite, I think, because. Uh, really, that's the heart of the book, and and uh, you go into great detail on each of those five steps and some of the steps within the steps. So, um, as much as you wish to put out, this is your chance. <laughs> yes, well, I uh, remember someone recently who uh, a, a guy called uh, Robert, who uh, is uh, got divorced and is back in uh, in the dating world. And he noticed that uh, it went all right, but he didn't uh, didn't really find or connect it in a great way with uh, with a potential partner. So uh, uh, he came to me and he said, "I wanna I wanna work on this." And then uh, so that is really step one to identify that you have an, uh, a living uh, challenge or problem. So uh, sometimes it is something we are aware of, something something we try to push away. But uh, you, you, you are aware that there is a challenge in your life that you would love to have some support and guidance for. Then we uh, uh, looked at it a little closer and figured out what is it that you really want to know. And so Robert said, what I really want to know is, of course, how can I find a partner? But he said, I think that uh, what would be even more helpful for me to figure out is what is my biggest obstacle in, uh, in finding a partner? And so that was his question, and that is step two. You have to phrase the question in a, in a, in a clear and a concise way. So he said, Dream, I would like to know the biggest obstacle in my dating life. And then step three is you create a ritual. And with a ritual, I really mean some uh, form of uh, dedicated focus, attention, and communication to your dream that this is something you, you really like to know and that you would really love to have an answer for. And, uh, and, and you create uh, almost uh, as if it's a bit of pressure in an alchemical vessel then uh, uh, that will produce a, a more likely and helpful dream. So you can do that by, uh, uh, he, he made an, uh, a drawing of a heart, and, uh, but I've seen a painter put a, an empty canvas next to his bed you can walk outside and find some uh, some stone or uh, object that represents your question. But you you spend some time on the ritual, and then uh, in the old days uh, people would spend uh, spend a, a lot of time on that ritual. So that ritual component is is one of the uh, more important aspects that 
triggers and help for a response. Yeah. And part of the idea, I guess, is to communicate to your unconscious or wherever dreams come from is uh, I'm I'm serious about this. I'm earnest yeah. enough to put some extra thought and, and process into uh, facilitating this to happen. Right. That That is exactly it. Yeah. And uh, and if, if the dream somehow feels there's a heartfelt intention and there's uh, I didn't just write down the question and say, hey, dream, give me the answer, but put it treat it like an, 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 an unvalued relationship with a inner counselor or inner guide. And then step four is you have to uh, to sleep and uh, you uh, you want to dream and uh, um, and then really step five is uh, so important write down the dream upon waking because dreams have a tendency to evaporate yes they and do then, uh, and that has to do with as you know with the short-term memory goes offline at yeah. night we forget dreams so it's not willpower or intelligence we all need to write it down and then uh, work on it and uh, some some dreams are really simple and clear and and and, and surprisingly straightforward other dreams are uh, uh, more complex and they require a bit of puzzling and working with and, and carry it throughout the day and share it maybe with other people. And I also wrote out a suggestion on how to work with a dream that isn't that doesn't require so much a, a huge uh, knowledge of symbol systems, but more looks at the structure of the dream that you then read against your question. And so the five steps are identify that you have an issue write a great question, uh, simple and concise, do rituals, sleep and dream, write down the dream and work uh, on your dream answer. And uh, that is, uh, that's the process. One of the things I was intrigued to discover there was also the value of writing, not only write down the dream, but maybe the night before, write down what the dream question is that you're, you're putting out there, that you're incubating. And I was intrigued by that because you say that quite often you find that people would wake up the next morning, they'd have a dream, but they couldn't remember what the question was. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it. And also yeah. sometimes, like with, uh, with Robert and his quest for, uh, for uh, uh, finding uh, uh, his answer to what uh, his biggest blockage was in, in, in dating life. Uh, sometimes you forget is what is the biggest blockage or how do I overcome uh, my blockage, and and then uh, you then then you get different answers because the dream does answer your question, and if you don't, don't know what or why questions just give different answers. Yeah, and I can can uh, uh, share quickly the uh, response of uh, of Robert's uh, dream. Yeah. And uh, so he has the dream the next day that uh, he says, I'm in a tunnel driving my car. And uh, a little bit further, I think I see a mountain lion. When I come closer, I see it's a tiger. I get really scared. And so I start backing out and backing, uh, I drive him back. So he wrote that down. And then he looked at what is the structure in this dream? And uh, so you don't need to know exactly what is tied, but he said just close to the experience. I, I, I drive in a tunnel that gives a certain uh, certain uh, uh, particular way of being. And uh, I see a, a tiger, something that uh, is scary. And when I see something that is scary, I back out. 
And then he thinks, how, where in my, my dating life right. do I encounter something that I feel scary? Is it intimacy or uh, a beautiful person or anything I find scary that I back out? And once you become aware of that, you do that tendency, you start creating uh, uh, opportunities to, to change your habitual behavior pattern to that anxiety. So you don't have to look up in a dream dictionary the meaning of lions or the meaning of tunnels. Right. Uh, uh, and, and for some people, some people love to do that kind of exploration, but uh, for other people, that's a, a, a place to get off board. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a second, I don't, I don't know about all that. I don't want to learn about all of that. Uh, maybe you have to be a Jungian analyst to, to deal with that. What's, do you have a theory about um, where dreams come from? Um, at, at the end of the day, of course, it's a mystery. But my working uh, assumption is that it is a combination between uh, your own, say, your own mind or your own soul and, and something else. So I think where our mind is, is interconnected to some larger mind or a larger soul. And uh, if uh, you would be, for example, what you can see in a dream, and especially in, in lucid dreams, but if you're in a dream, if this was a dream, and I now uh, would have my uh, mom come in, and she would be uh, shaking her head, then uh, uh, we could, of course, look at it, what is happening, and something, uh, something critical comes in the room and shakes her head. But what happens there, it's, it's, a, it's a thought form. My mind takes on the form and shape of, 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 of in the dream of my mom, who represents criticalness. And so we have this personal layer that expresses itself in dreams as personal symbols, mom or whatever. Therefore, mom is not everywhere the same. My mom, I, I make something up. My mom, I associate with critical, where another person says, oh, my mom always uh, was a great cook. And... Uh, uh, and so we have these, these personal elements. But what my experience is, is also that you meet characters in the dream, like the voice that I, that I encountered, who seems to possess a certain uh, wisdom or insight that, that, that the little I doesn't have. And so there appears to be also non-personal non elements in the dream. And they, they blend in this one world of the dream. And uh, so I think it's an combination between personal, your personal mind taking on forms and shapes and some larger mystery that uh, comes in as well. Yeah, I liked, I liked the, that you started with mystery, you know, and, uh, and you end with mystery <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, my own personality is one that I'm so distrustful of people that have, that think they have all the answers or that present their information in a way that seems to suggest that they know they know what's going on they know what's on the other side etc and i'm just uh, instinctively uh, distrustful of that yeah. so yeah. so you're one of my people <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i think it's clear do, that do you, you do you yeah. see it somewhat similar or do you have a different perspective on, on how the dream is constructed uh, I don't have a, I don't, I, I guess, you know, I've, I've been influenced by some of Freud's ideas as well as Jung's ideas. 
And so, for example, and and you don't uh, in the book you don't mention day residue or go with that. But I was always kind of impressed by Freud's observation that every dream, if you look hard enough, you'll find something in the preceding day, and uh, that's never failed me. I, you know, I, I can always find. Oh, yeah, this could have been triggered by that. Mm. Uh, but but that may not go deep enough. You know, I think you really have to to uh, maybe go beyond that. And and the other thing that I that I tend to do is, and this is not really a lot different from what you're saying, is to um, kind of look at how is this, how is my life like this? Yeah. What in my life is being represented by this? And in other words, to look at the dream as a metaphor. Mm -hmm. and, and so I guess partly this comes from the background of, uh, training as a psychotherapist so that I'm always looking for um, what is this saying about it, the person's emotional life yeah. and, and you know, maybe about their issues, their hang-ups, their problems, etc. So that's a lot where I'm coming from. Now, I know that your main theoretical influence is Jung. Uh, who else do you draw upon? Because I know there have been some other big influences on your thinking. Yeah, I've, uh, uh, because I was born in South Africa, dreams, uh, no, I don't know if, if, if that's the correlation, but I was born in South Africa, and on a certain moment, uh, my dreams started to call me back to South Africa. I would have uh, a dream of uh, being in the plane, landing in Johannesburg, and really having a sense of coming home and, 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 and be so emotionally uh, uh, touched by it. So... I hadn't been in South Africa for a, for a long time, and I decided to go back. And then uh, I, uh, I I came uh, across the Sangomas, the local indigenous healers, and I would uh, uh, have time and sit with them and look at how do they see the, the uh, how they look at reality and healing and dreams. And so that uh, that influenced me uh, deeply. And a little bit later, I also met Malidoma Somme, the African shaman. You also had him once on your show. I, that's true, I did, yeah. And uh, I've, uh, I've spent uh, uh, a couple of years working closely with him. Wow. And uh, so the shamanic perspective is, uh, has, has deeply influenced my way of, of thinking and seeing dreams. I do also, to a certain extent, think that Jung was a Western shaman. Just as one of the lenses to look at him, mm -hmm. I also think he was a Western scientist and etc. And then uh, um, the, the 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 Tibetan way of looking at dreams to really with lucid dreaming and and the awareness practices of uh, of of dreaming and looking more at how is dreaming constructed, more about the the, the nature of the dream and less about the content of the dream. So how does uh, how does it uh, yeah how, how does dreaming actually work? How come that you in a dream can step through a wall when you believe you can, and you cannot step through the wall if you believe you can't? Yeah. And uh, so your your own expectations start playing a role in how the dream world is constructed, and how does that then translate back to this life? Uh, that your expectations co-create reality. Because if I believe the person in the supermarket, uh, the checkout center, doesn't like me, I start behaving in a way 
that more likely makes that person not uh, uh, like me or behave to me. So that is how that, uh, that Tibetan dream yoga has influenced me, the African tradition, and then uh, Jungian and Western thought, but, uh, and, and a lot of my own. And uh, I think those are the main influences. And then in the, in the dream incubation tradition, I just went to, I traveled across the world to Greece and looked at how did these old cultures engage with dreaming in order to trigger the healing response. So I learned from specific traditions a lot for, for the book. Yeah, I was really impressed to see how much of the world you, you traveled with curiosity uh, in Africa. You mentioned uh, you, you even before you came to California and Pacifica and all, you, you traveled in Asia for a year. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I guess you picked up some important things there. And, you know, the fact that we all dream and we've all dreamed since the beginning of time, as far as we know, and it's, it's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful commonality. And I often have thought that, you know, that uh, when I was doing dream groups and in my classes, that it's a way to skip over share the sharing of dreams is a way to skip over uh you know where were you born where do you work what's your job etc but to, to really very quickly get to the heart of something important yeah beautiful and uh, i uh, i echo that uh, that sentiment because yeah. just like you mentioned with freud and the day residue i also believe that dreams very often portray that what we're what we're emotionally engaged with. And so you get uh, really the emotional content instead of, uh, well, I am uh, this or I've been doing that. Yeah. You get to, uh, to, to the heart of the matter. Yes. And, uh, and even I'm also a mental health therapist in, in couples therapy. I sometimes tell the couple for, to create intimacy, start sharing your dreams in the morning. Uh -huh. You don't even have to, uh, to interpret them. Just to share what uh, what was your experience last night, and listen really attentively to it as if it's a real experience, and then the other gets the turn, and that that also deepens a sense of intimacy. Indeed, indeed, um, it gives some practice in listening too, which is <laughs> not always easy in uh, in those close situations. Um, That's right. Well, one of the things I love about the book, too, is that there's so much of yourself and your own experience, and there are lots of stories for people to hook on to, lots of stories that are examples of whatever the point is that you're you're trying to make. And um, the particularly meaningful is the detail that you go into on the, the different pieces of the dream uh, incubation process. And I thought particularly rich was the all of the conversation around formulating the right question. And, mm -hmm. and, and that, that really gave me pause for thought, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the first question that comes to mind may not be right may not be formulated 
correctly because as you point as you point out in the book and here that uh, the dream maker where whatever wherever whoever that is tends to be literal and so if you don't if your question isn't set for a very literal mind you'll get a shotgun of answers that you may not be able to make sense of yes exactly and uh, uh, thank you for, for, for pointing that out and bringing that up. Because in, in basically dream incubation is a very simple concept. Ask your dream a question before you go to bed in order to have a helpful response. And uh, yes, that works and comes back uh, throughout history, throughout times, in all cultures. But what, what makes that technique now actually really effective? And, and two of the biggest things are write down a good question, a great question, and put in that time in the ritual. That, uh, uh, that, that is what, what, it really, what really makes it work. And I've worked, I've spent probably eight years in working on the book, and uh, uh, even it's a, a relatively thin book. Uh, but Yeah, uh, so it's barely over 100 pages, should let people know that. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, uh, easy to read, accessible. Yeah. Yes. On purpose. And uh, but what, did, what, what, what I noticed is that people sometimes say, I, I don't think this technique works for me. All right, tell me, what did you do? What's your question? Uh. And then I heard, oh, people ask two questions in one. How do I find life, uh, love, and how do I build my business? Yeah, that's, that's, then you get a convoluted answer because you wouldn't know what part of the dream is responding to what. Or uh, what did, uh, did you have that the person didn't really think through? What do I really want to know? Like the person with the example of uh, the dating. Uh, actually, he wanted to know what's my obstacle. Because maybe the obstacle is actually preventing him more from getting a partner than figuring out where to find the partner. Because he might even know where the partner is. He backs out when, when he gets scared. So. Yeah. It's, it's more helpful for him to know that part. And so, like Einstein said uh, once, if I am confronted with a, a challenge and I have 60 minutes to work on it, I will spend the first 50 minutes in developing a great question. Because once I have the question, I know I will get uh, the answer. And that I can was, do the answer in 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah that, that was a great, a great quote in the book. And drawing on your business experience and interests, you uh, tell us a business story of a study where uh, people who are very successful in business, rated by their bosses, I guess, as to uh, their promise and effectiveness and so on, fell into two groups. The, the people who were rated very highly tended to ask great questions. Yeah, yes. And, and great questions is, uh, is, is such a prerequisite for almost for many things in life, whether success in business. And in that example, the, the small, but the very small difference between uh, average and great was the average people would ask themselves, what should I do? Where the uh, great people asked themselves the question, what could I do? And what could I do would open up so many more options where should was 
as if there's one shoot. It was very limiting, yeah. almost punitive in, in self-thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. uh, uh, and, and that was the difference. But you know, as, a, as an interviewer and, and your own business, how vital it was to, uh, because you had a, a business uh, uh, where you Market asked, research, yeah. Market research, yeah. Yeah. Where you had to develop good, good or great questions. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and actually even uh, uh, in intimacy or, or having a good way you talk to yourself, that, uh, that this is the, 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 the importance of asking good questions. Uh, if I ask myself, why do I always mess up? My, my brain or, or psyche will come up with an answer that's almost always unflattering. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, well because you're lazy you don't work hard enough da, 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 da. if I would ask the question how could I uh, do this better my brain or psyche will give me a different answer so even the way we ask ourselves ask uh, people we are with intimacy business and also dream incubation it hinges on on taking some time mm -hmm. to develop a good question yeah, fascinating. Well, let's talk a bit about the, come back to the dream platform. Yeah, uh, uh, which is the uh, your 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 platform, <laughs> your web portal. Uh, tell us about that. What will people find there, and uh, why should they visit that? Why is that important? Yes, so it's it's called Young Platform, youngplatform.com. And um, it gives a lot of uh, uh, great uh, courses on, uh, on, on personal development or, or, or growing in a soulful way. So you get uh, programs, courses, and lectures on Jungian concepts as the shadow and individuation, synchronicity, archetypes for beginners and intermediate. And uh, uh, next to it, other uh, psychology or, or traditions that take into account the unconscious or another world. So we have a program with that African shaman Malidoma Somme, or we have uh, an, an Hindu perspective on karma and how that influences your 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 family uh, line, and you inherit these 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 clusters of of karmic uh, challenges uh, uh, throughout uh, the history. And so we have about 150 uh, programs on dreams. Jungian psychology, uh, spiritual traditions, uh, that uh, with with some of the best teachers in the world, for the general audience and for people that are somewhat steeped in this uh, in this material. And um, you have some free resources on that site as well. Yeah, we have we have uh, for me very important to offer some some free programs, lectures, and talks. Uh, there's over a hundred blogs by uh, by good uh, by good teachers that are all for free, and uh, so people can get a taste of uh, of it. Uh, if they have ever a, a real problem with paying the full fee, we do have uh, scholarships programs, because at one hand my uh, my heart and mission is in making uh, psychological programs available for everyone, because I believe that. If we become a bit more aware of our shadow and ourselves and live more in accordance to our purpose, we all live a more fun, soulful, colorful, meaningful life, and it's good for society. And of course, I have to balance that with 
making sure that this business uh, can sustain itself and pay all the employees that we have because currently there's about 15 20 part-time full-time people already yeah, working for the yeah. company so they want to feed their families at the end of the month so we we, we want to balance uh, making it accessible to everyone and 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 having a sound business but uh, for people that uh, and I've been there in my life uh, with not that much money but want to study this it's a, we'll find a way yeah yeah and you use the word fun and that was another thing that really uh, uh, stuck out for me it was in several places encountering the word fun because all of this about guidance and so on and it can sound very kind of heavy and ponderous of working out one's problems and uh, but but you actually use the word fun it, yes. which is a little different than even joy it's just to have some fun that's part of what's is is being a joyful human being right uh, uh, totally and uh, i know from my own life i can get squeezed a little bit with uh, this uh, classic thing of discipline and having to work but uh, having fun and just for the sake of of uh, of fun create a, a fun question uh, go and experiment I'm, I'm also very much of the belief, test it yourself. You don't, don't believe me or anyone. Try this yourself because it's your relationship with your dream. And, uh, and, and actually it even works a little bit better if, if you bring some fun to it. If you take it too serious as if it is, uh, needs to be done in a specific way. No, uh, a little enjoyment and fun are ingredients that make dream work. Uh, actually also more effective. That's a great place for us to wrap it up. <laughs> it's a great closing statement. So, uh, Machiel Clark, I, I want to thank you for being my guest again today on Shrinkwrap Radio and for writing this uh, delightful, instructive, helpful book. Thank you, Dave. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I love the way you ask questions. You really mastered that skill and um, yeah, thanks for uh, having me on your show. My interview with Dreamworker Machiel Clerc, MFT, afforded me with a journey of significant personal discovery. I've quotes known Machiel from the early days of Shrinkwrap Radio, that is, I thought I knew him, when I read his excellent book for our interview, Dream Guidance, Connecting to the Soul Through Dream Incubation, I discovered that I knew only a thin slice of this internet friend. We've never met in person, but we've had an informal agreement to be strategic partners. I had just started my podcast, and I think he had just begun to develop his own website, the Jung Platform. I knew he had recently graduated from the Jungian-oriented Pacifica Graduate Institute and that we both had a passion for dream work. He suggested we could help each other by creating a shared mailing list. I had no such list at the time, and he let me know that the smart business move for me would be to start developing one to create ongoing contact with my listeners. He suggested we could put out a shared newsletter 
as a tool to gather contact info for those interested in our work. At the time, I didn't know that he had a degree in business and had already created a business or two. I only learned that and so much more about him as I read his new Dream Guidance book, which is a really fine introduction and training manual for the practice of dream incubation, one of the oldest and worldwide approaches to working with one's dreams. I've read other books on dream incubation over the years, but never embraced it fully. As I read Machiel's book, I came to realize that my own passing attempts failed to deliver dramatic results because I was doing it wrong. In Machiel's book, you will learn to do it right. As I've hinted above, I also learned a lot about my longtime internet partner and friend. He's a super cool guy. He really threw himself wholly into the dream path of dream incubation as a therapeutic modality and a spiritual practice. He's apprenticed with shamans and noted dream workers, led dream incubation training workshops all over the world, and in the process become a wise man. Yet his book is full of humility, as well as deep insight, and is barely more than a hundred pages long. It's also written in a straightforward, unpretentious way that makes it very accessible. Here are a few samples of his writing to demonstrate my point and whet your appetite. He writes, and I quote, At one time I backpacked for a year through Asia, and in every country I visited, I learned their local way of being with dreams. I traveled to Africa and learned how African shaman work with dreams. Through all my studies, I learned that there is not one best way to be with dreams. Rather, there are many insightful techniques, tools, and perspectives. One can interpret a dream, feel and learn from the emotions in a dream, relate and talk to dream figures, become lucid in the dream, and in a conscious way explore the dream environment, and finally, Ask the dream a question before you fall asleep. Then you will receive a response from the dream. This book will deal mainly with that last subject. Close quote. Here's another example. He writes, quote, Asking dreams for guidance is not a new idea. Many ancient traditions viewed the dream world as sacred. Dreams and their inhabitants have been revered for their medicinal powers and guiding abilities as the dream world contains knowledge that is applicable for healing and for accessing our own inner guidance. Indigenous cultures throughout Africa and on other continents believe that the dream world can be consulted for guidance and wisdom concerning all matters of life. All spiritual traditions believe that dreamers can ask questions about their relationships, vocation, spiritual queries, creative projects, and all matters related to physical and psychological healing. And sometimes we need a little help boosting our level of enjoyment and fun in our daily lives. Finally, here's one last example. He writes, quote, Dream incubation emboldens you to take charge of your own life and turn it into a dream life. 
It can help you tear down your own limiting beliefs so that you can experience a richer and more joyous life. It provides you with tailor-made ways to deal with, for example, your health, your vocation, or finding a partner. Close quote. If you're intrigued by any of this, I urge you to get yourself a copy of Dream Guidance Connecting to the Soul Through Dream Incubation by Machiel Clerk. It's the best book on dream incubation I've ever read and is destined to become a classic. Hi, Dr. Dave. I just wanted to share my experience of listening to Shrink Wrap Radio and why I decided to make a donation to the podcast. I learned about your show through a course I was taking with the Zur Institute. I'm not sure if you were being interviewed or someone else was being interviewed, but somehow Shrink Wrap Radio was mentioned and I decided I had to check it out for myself. When I went to your site, I found over 600 podcasts on all these different areas focusing on human behavior and psychology. When I listened to your interviews, what I liked most was how it just felt like it was two good friends having a candid conversation about whatever topic it was that you were covering. Um, There's often a sincerity that seems to come through in your interviews with your guests. And I guess as a listener, it makes me feel included or part of the process. Um, When I listen to the show, it feels like I'm just there with you as you guys are talking. I also really like how at the end of the show, you'll just reflect on what it was like to interview that guest or maybe um, mention something that just couldn't get covered because of of time constraints. I think about how you're a one-man show, um, all the time and resources that it must take to do all this. I've never done a podcast before, and I I don't know uh, what it takes in terms of all the pieces that have to come together to get this going every week. I know you have to find a guest. That takes time. I know that you have to research um, their background, read their book, or read their articles so that you're prepared. That takes time. And of course, do the interview. That takes time. And then lastly, upload the recording or the podcast so that we, the listeners, get to enjoy it. That takes time. I also imagine that there's so much more to doing a podcast that meets the eye in terms of time and resources that has to take place every week so that we get the pleasure of listening all that you do. I get so much from your shows. I learn a lot. I imagine many of your listeners have a very similar experience, if not all of them. And I think about how this show covers so much content that benefits the online community, whether or not they're in the field. Students can learn a lot from this show. Practitioners, people in the field, benefit from this show and likely feel more connected to the field by listening to all the content. And I just think people in the community can benefit from this I often share the content or forward 
a podcast, if I think it's relevant to a colleague or to a client because it focuses on something that we happen to cover in session, um, or even to family and friends. And because of all that I receive, and I think the community in general gets from these online podcasts, I just wanted to contribute in whatever way that I could to support the work that you're doing. It's a real pleasure to listen to your shows, and they really keep me company through all sorts of things. I've listened to you on long drives, um, you and your guests on you know different types of topics that, that you might be covering. I've listened to you on the treadmill. Um, and I suspect that my experience is pretty similar to a lot of your other listeners, too. You and your guests are, are kind of accompanying us in whatever it is that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I guess for all those reasons, and probably others that I haven't said, I just wanted to support what you're doing so that we, the listeners, all of us, can continue to benefit from your podcasts. I look forward to listening to many, many more. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Dr. Kimberly Tangen, for your thoughtful and empathetic understanding and appreciation of everything that goes into producing this show single-handedly. And of course, thank you to all you other monthly supporters. I would like to hear from more of you listeners. I assume you know that I produce a monthly newsletter And at the end of each one, I like to highlight comments about a recent interview. However, I've not been getting any listener comments lately. If you hear something that touches you, please take the time to go to that interview on shrinkwrapradio.com and you'll see an area right below the interview where you can post your comments. Once again, time to shrink wrap it up. Thanks to today's guest, my longtime friend and strategic partner, Michael Clerk, MFT, for talking about his wonderful book on dream incubation. I do believe it's destined to become a classic. The book, once again, is Dream Guidance, Connecting to the Soul Through Dream Incubation. And next week, my guest will be a great follow-on to this week. It will be... Jungian alchemical worker and author Tom Cavalli, who for years has been taking psychological alchemy very seriously to work miracles in his own life and that of his clients. His work really stretches my mind. If you like miracle stories, you really don't want to miss this one. Until then, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and our precious earth. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.